Alright, class. I'm Mr. Roots, and I'll be your sub for the day. The old guy in the Ray-Ban said you were a dusty bunch, but frankly, if I could handle those freaky-ass kids in Shadow's house last week, this should be a cakewalk. I got three rules for you ankle-biters. Rule number one, shut your yap. Disclaimer. This episode may contain adult language and situations that aren't appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Rule number two, shut your yap. This episode also contains spoilers for the series Sunny Boy, and possibly other anime and films. Keep this in mind as you listen. Rule number three. You should know by now it's shut your yep. Finally, opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect those of the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Okay, you kids keep changing my air of the dog into sugar water, so you're getting a video today. But it's actually going to be educational. <laughs> Take that, you little turds. Enjoy the show. Pull up my little noties. There we go. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of nerds get together, talk about the latest and greatest in anime dubs and voiceover. Um, I am your host tonight, Patrick, a.k.a. Roots of Justice, and tonight, for my special birthday episode... I feel so old. <laughs> um, I am joined tonight by one Andrew. Howdy, guys. How you doing? Jet. Hey, do. Amon. Hey. And the show we're covering tonight is none other than the summer. I can't exact probably can't call it a hit, but oh man, does it hit? Uh, Sunny Boy, sleeper hit Ooh. seems an apt term. One of those cult classics that'll be talked about religiously in like ten years. You didn't watch Sunny Boy. Shame on you. We also okay, know okay. we watched. Okay. 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 I also watched watch Sunny, Sunny Boy. Boy I, so shame on me. No, I did watch Sunny Boy. I just didn't finish it. Fair enough, but also shame. <laughs> so, this is going to spoil the whole show, but this is secretly going to be a thesis statement about doing this. I'll also partially admit, mm-hmm. yeah. Amon, you are here mm-hmm. right now because I really, really, really wanted you to watch the show. <laughs> you did give me an opportunity to watch the show. I do appreciate it. Like, we reeled you in because we wanted you to listen to the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Which, just because I don't know when I'm going to get to bring it up, did you know Shinichiro Watanabe was the music advisor for Sunny Boy? Yes, I did. That that makes perfect sense. And you could absolutely tell, because that man has a godly taste in music. He has the good stuff. He knows the good shit. So... What's this about? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you asked. Because I happen to have a plot description right here, courtesy of ANN. Uh, empty classrooms, boring days. It was supposed to be a normal summer vacation just like any other. Suddenly, the school begins to drift through another dimension, and 36 boys and girls are left there, awakening to their supernatural abilities. Amidst a whirlpool of questions that come to mind one after another... Survival in a supernatural world begins. Man, that was just the elevator pitch that, like, Shingo Natsume 
told to producers and then just lied to them. <laughs> and, and he was like, I didn't lie. I only told you half-truths. There's 36 boys and girls and they have to survive. Is it a death battle anime? Uh, yeah, sure, sure whatever. Well, sure, well, whatever gets me funded. <laughs> Death Battle anime, Shingo Natsume, let's go! Ha ha ha, those stupid uh, fucks. Uh, yeah, uh, so basically the same thing Ikuhara has to do every time he puts us a new show. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow people keep falling for it. You think, bless his heart. They, they all think they're going to be the ones who get Ikuhara to do a normal thing. They're all convinced. But yeah, I mean, Penguin Dome was like the most, the closest to mainstream thing he did, and even that's like too abstract for most people. Anyways, Shingo Natsume is a name y'all should really be familiar with by this point. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the most surprise. Yeah, I think what's. I mean, it's not surprising, but it's like the more I think about it, it's like. That man has a lot of brains as a director. It's pretty impressive. He's. It's kind of amazing how many friends in high places he has, and how good... Wait, did he write the script for this whole show, too? Yeah, yes. he wrote it. Yeah. This is this is his baby through and through. Wow. Yeah, so in case you want to see pure, unfiltered Shingo Natsume, this is Sunny Boy. And it... It's great because the show feels like it was made 15, 20 years ago, and then somebody at Madhouse just finds it in a vault and is just like, oh, this is still perfectly good. Let's put it on air. So what you're saying is it kind of feels like an era from a time long ago? Yes. Like, it feels as out of time as the actual students in this drifting classroom are. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I have some thoughts about that that I'll probably get into later. Uh, 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 yeah. yeah. I really wish we more time talking about the show than the actual dub, but that's probably going to be the whole mood tonight, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. So, in a conversation about anime dubs, um, we do kind of have to segue into who worked on it. Uh, so, let's start with the crew. Uh, directing the show is Alexis Tipton. Um, and it's been strongly implied that Sarah Ragsdale also provided assistance to some degree. Um, it's not listed on ANN, but a couple of the actors have mentioned her in their their tweets of gratitude for being cast in the show. I'm willing to vouch for it. I think it's. I think. Mm -hmm. I did kind of want to put in that little disclaimer just just in case we're wrong, so that if I need to take an L, I'll take an L. Okay. Yeah, no, it's perfectly reasonable. I have mm -hmm. long since grown up from the days of 91 Days. <laughs> um, speaking of 91 Days, um, doing the scripts for Sunny Boy are none other than Tyler Walker and Matt Shipman. Mm. 
Um, in terms of directorial work for Alexis Tipton, you would know her from such things as Restaurant to Another World, uh, The Dragon Goes House Hunting, and this season, you can hear her work in Akabee's Sailor Uniform. Oh, yeah, she is doing um, that. Sarah, Sarah Ragsdale, I actually could not find any ADR production credits for. Um, so if she is doing some sort of directorial work, this is probably her debut, which, good job. Good for you. Um, Tyler Walker's script writing you would know from such things as Ace Attorney, uh, Dr. Stone, and this season, um, along with Ben Phillips, you can see his work in Miss Kuroitsu from the Monster Development Department. Um, and Matt Shipman, who did some script writing for episodes 4, 5, and 9 of this show. Um, you would know his work from things such as Back Arrow. I know Kusabi, and he did write a couple episodes for another Shingo Natsume project, Boogie Pop and Others. Hmm. Alright, so let us get this discussion rolling, and I think I'm going to start it with... Um, let's start with Jet. Okay, um... Yeah, uh... The, uh, yeah, uh, directed wide, I think this dub is uh, really solid. And so, uh, this is definitely, uh, this show is definitely more abstract art than, like, dramatic, so it simply didn't call for, you know, a lot of, like, very uh, theatrical performances, in a sense. And so, uh, it kind of it kind of called for more performances that were more, I guess, fairly down to earth in a way, and this show definitely delivered on that end. So a lot of the characters sounded pretty natural. Sounded pretty natural. Um, definitely, it's like more or less gave off the vibe that yeah, like these characters are like you know actual teenagers, but maybe like what you know like maybe you know one or two characters who sounded like maybe a little deeper than they should have, but otherwise like, but otherwise it was pretty smooth across the board to that end. And also, and uh, script wise, I'm also pretty happy with how that turned out. And so, uh, I did, I didn't finish watching the entire show in Japanese, but I didn't get at least up to episode eight. And like from what I was able to observe, uh, type uh, Tyler Walker and Matt Chipman's adaptive script is not a direct one to one, but it is pretty, but it is pretty close. Which, in any other instance, might be like a little questionable, but it. But, again, this is, like, abstract art, so for this kind of show, I feel like it's definitely better to stick to the script as much as possible, because, you know, uh, lots of uh, hidden meaning and, like, a lot of the dialogue and all that good stuff, so yeah, definitely very important that they kept a lot of that intact. But at the same time, you know, uh, they still did a good job of making sure that, like, a lot of the conversations between characters flow naturally, which is always a plus. And, um, yeah, um, this is a pretty well-put-together dub across the board. Uh, good job to everyone involved. Okay, um, why don't we move on to Andrew, then? So this is a very interesting show and a very interesting dub. Um, so this is a... I, I don't know how to describe it in that this show is very, very very dense this is the kind of thing where i feel like the material and subject matter is extremely it's artsy and dense in a way that is very fascinating but almost a little bit 
intimidating, so to speak. I I I think that the I'm a big fan of like what I heard of the sub because I thought it was very interesting, but I also got the feeling that for me this was a much easier show to digest and process in English. Mostly just because I felt like I was able to parse it and like vibe with it a lot easier. And also, man, is this show a looker. Mm-hmm. Man, is this show a pure looker. This is a much bigger ensemble than I expected it to be, but for the most part, there's a lot of one-off and occasional incidental characters throughout. So it's got a pretty big cast, but it's mostly like a lot of like side or secondary characters with... A core, the core of the heart and soul being like maybe like a handful of like 10 to 12 actors. But everybody sounds like they're doing their best. They're giving it their all and it's a solid effort. There's a couple I think that are a little are a little awkward at first or some that I thought sounded a bit older than I would have assumed for what are middle school characters. But I don't think anybody gave a bad or particularly poor performance at all. Um... I think, yeah, no, the direction and the script really complement the show extremely well. Giving a lot less... I feel like I'd say a lot of these are way less anime performances and a lot more just down-to-life performances, which I think worked to its favor of the characters and the show and dub as a whole. Like I said, I... I I think this is a very solid dub, and I really enjoyed my time with it. I think Alexis and her team did a very, very bang-up job. All right. Um, Alon, what are your thoughts? I'm really impressed by this dub because I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. We never go on tangents here at Dub Talk. How dare you? I know. Uh, I When I started watching this show, and this was not an impression that stayed throughout, per se, just because the show does go places, but when I started watching it, it reminded me a lot of a movie I'd seen. Are any of you familiar with a movie called Last Year at Mirambad? Nope. I'm familiar with the name, I just haven't seen it. Uh, early 60s French movie. Notoriously, like, very abstract and very unwilling to give details. The plot is nominally about... A man and a woman who had met at this hotel that's like a former, you know, palatial, palatial mansion in France. They may or may not have consummated an affair. The movie does not tell you this. Uh, and this is them, like, a year later having now met again, and the woman's husband is... Maybe husband is maybe there. Um, it is not very interested in linear narratives or even telling you what year you're supposed to be in. Uh, there's a famous shot that looks really wrong, and you're not sure why until you realize that what's wrong is that all the people have shadows, but none of the buildings do. This reminded me a lot of that. It's very self-consciously artistic and avant-garde in a way that... At least in this form, to be honest, I'm not used to seeing an anime in general. Like, there's a lot of experimental anime, but it doesn't feel like it's, it's drawing on the tradition that I think I got from watching this initially this is very much something that has a lot of big ideas but also isn't it's not necessarily trying to purposely alienate you but it also knows what it wants to say 
and if it like it'll it'll give you some things to help follow it along but on some level it doesn't it's not particularly concerned with whether or not you get it on the first or second time around um that sounds like something really hard to adapt because <laughs> usually you have things to latch on to uh there's stuff to latch on to here but a lot of it's way more like mushy for lack of a better word in a good way um yeah, I was just really impressed by this. This 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 dub is really well put together. I think it's really well acted and written and directed, despite being a excuse me, um, just despite being something that I don't know if it necessarily lends itself to being an easy adaptation necessarily, just because there's a lot that you know there's plenty here that you the viewer have to kind of figure out on your own in order to make sense of what's going on. And I feel like that is doubly so if you're trying to adapt this into another language where you have all sorts of just new considerations to consider. Like, ah, we have this, this line of dialogue. Is this something is this something more portentous? Like, can we mistranslate this and just close off a bunch of the narrative by complete accent? Oh dear. This is this is yeah, like this I'm impressed by how good this came out just because this is clearly a hard job to do. Uh, and I have a lot of kudos to Alexis and her team for being able to pull this off. This is... Yeah, this is not an easy feat. Mm. Yeah. Um, one thing that I do want to mention um, that hasn't been said yet is um, not only does it do a really good job of sort of covering some of the more avant-garde aspects of the actual series... Um, it actually does a very, very adequate job of feeling like a dub out of time. Um, that feels like a central theme of the show itself. Um, it does not play with linearity, like, at all. Um, and this, this dub, despite having actors who really kind of broke out in recent years. Um, kind of in a similar vein to the um, to the Space Battleship Yamato reboot. Um, this dub feels like it easily could have just been unearthed in Funimation's archives. Like, hey, this is... This is from, like, 2010. Seems pretty good. Let's run it. Like, it flows really well. The conversation... This isn't really that much of a kind of quote-unquote snap and banter kind of dub. Um, it's very conversational. I think I also remember seeing... Actually, because I, I think I remember it came up during... Because uh, th there was a Making of Sunny Boy video that was posted on Funimation's YouTube. I think uh, Natsume himself mentioned... I don't think there's any internal narration at all throughout Sunny Boy. And if there is, it's extremely minimal. Okay, there is one there is one episode that has internal narration and it's literally because one of the characters powers is listening to monologues. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure everything else is either conversational or shown by, like, character body language. Yeah, um... 
the show's episodic nature lets it tell really beautifully intricate stories that you really don't appreciate until it's over and you've kind of given it about half an hour to an hour to process. Um, and the dub is just really great at, like, just feeling like middle schoolers having conversations about all these weird situations going on. Um, it's... Uh, in a way, it's really hard to describe, which sums up a lot of the show. Mm. Mm. Um, but I think for now, um, we're going to go ahead and move to our first group of characters. Um, this will be our student council. Um, they are three elected body... <clears throat> Uh, three members of the elected body. Um, and in the first episode, they sort of act like antagonistic forces. Um, but over the course of the show, they sort of serve the role of keeping the kids relatively in order, but also letting them explore and figure things out. Um, so we have Cap... Hoshi and Machi. Actually, on the subject about it, them seemingly being antagonistic, I think the biggest shocker to uh, the show is that Hoshi was not a more sinister character. Yeah. Oh, oh, this. this yeah. Uh, what? Who's who's the guy from Devil Man? Uh, are you talking about Rio? Rio? Yeah, this Rio fucker. <laughs> that was the that was the absolute vibe he came when he showed up. It's like, uh, you're gonna be a problem, aren't you? Jesus Christ. And the surprise twist is that he's actually like a moral center for a lot of these characters to the point he effectively He effectively <laughs> is like a savior to most of them. It is, it is, yeah, I, I don't remember what the exact line was, but I remember like I remember, like, they interviewed Tiko Natsume and when, like, he described... And when he described Hoshi, I think he specifically described him as kind of, like, a politician. And that makes perfect sense. Oh, Lord. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> does. Um, Hoshi actually seems to have some... Is the one that actually seems to have some kind of ability where he can hear, quote-unquote, the voice of God. So, in terms of actors, uh, Cap is played by Patrick Seitz. Hoshi by Rai McKean, and Machi by Lauren Landa. Uh, you would know Patrick Seitz from such roles as Dio from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, Wolfgang Grimmer from Monster, and Frankie from One Piece. Uh, Rai McKean, uh, relative newcomer. Uh, you would know him from such roles as Rito from Two Love Rue, uh, Mia from Skate the Infinity, uh, and a little bit of a surprise, Pika from One Piece. Oh my god. Oh my god, fucking Pika. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and Lauren Landa. You would know from such roles as Juno from Beastars, Kyoko Sakura from Madoka Magica, and Merlin from The Seven Deadly Sins. Um, so I think to start this off, we will have... Andrew. Oh, lordy. Um, so, 
This is an interesting ensemble of characters. I'll start with Lauren Landa, who I think she does a good job sounding like the serious girl trying her best while also letting it letting her mask slip a little bit. Notably, her contempt for uh, <coughs> Mizuho, notably because she had a past with Mizuho, because Mizuho was like, "Oh, you totally botched this award. You botched this vote. Like, you use connections and shit." And then Hoshi, like, traced her her anonymous shit-talking posts on the internet, which, that's a scary thing for that kid to just know how to do. Uh, but yeah, no, she's got a bit of contempt for uh, Mizuho, but I think she does a good job pulling, pulling rank and being, like, the stern, serious person who's trying to keep order amongst the class. And she does a good job. She's got a very authoritative voice, but I like I like her relationship with uh, Hoshi and Cap. And I even like before they take off to the unknown, and she kind of like bonds with Mizuho one final time, sort of like letting all those bygones be bygones before taking off, which I thought was actually a pretty sweet scene. Uh, Cap Patrick Sites as Cap. He's big. He's he's commanding he's intimidating he's also a little bit of a goof but he's also a bit power hungry but yeah the biggest the biggest thing patrick sites has to do is pretty much sell the history of an entire fake fictional baseball league of monkeys to the audience without showing any of them and managing to sell that quite exceptionally yeah like man oh man the monkey baseball episode man i was gripped into the saga of blue monkey and like the catcher like the umpire that was that was insane and that was a nice parallel to the concept of the pro like basically the prodigy versus the person the, like the hard worker who is drawn to the fairness of the sport I was also mm -hmm. thinking of it more as like a, you know, like, uh, kind of, I guess, going against the norm and, like, uh, it's not what the majority wants and all of that stuff. But, yeah, no, I think I think Patrick Seitz really sold the entire gripping saga of the Monkey League while, like, j just really drawing me in, like, with his voice and stuff. I, I was pretty impressed with that, and he did a good job. And then there's Rai, who... Oh man, that tiny little shrimp is intimidating as all hell. And Rai sells how intimidating and seemingly two-faced this character would be. Like, Hoshi would be... Okay, how do I describe this? Patrick, you wouldn't quite understand this because you're still very new to this. Hoshi is... Your schemer, two-faced conniving bastard that makes everybody's lives in the Danganronpa all that more troublesome. Oh, like what's his nuts uh -huh. with the glasses? Yes, like what's his nuts with the glasses. I think Rai does a good job making him sound like very two-faced, but also very sincere and noble. And I did like the fact that he actually just does care for his classmates and really wanted to see them prosper. He... He knew everybody was going adrift because the voice told him. 
And he's like, well, well, I mean, my classmates are kind of fucking idiots. They can't do shit if I'm not there to help them out. And he was just right. He, he was just right. And he, he, he mm. basically just became Noah. Like, actually Noah. And just guided them to travel the world in their giant 3D polygonal cube. Which, you know what? You could have mm -hmm. way worse looking ships. So, hey. Good for him. Yeah. And I think Rai does a very good job making him very complex and interesting. But also making him very sincere and helpful. He, he, does, he does a great job as a little shrimp. Also, it's very intimidating watching a very menacing, godly voice imbue itself through this small child. That it is. Um, you all set? Yep. Alright, I think I will move the conversation on to Jet. Okay. Uh, guess a sec. So, um, yeah, I will also start with uh, Lord Led uh, as, uh, as Machi. I thought he did a pretty good job of kind of uh, coming off as like a third, as a, kind of like a bit of a third authority figure among like the students. As I add, as I add very much like trying to keep things managed, but also just you know like very clearly spiteful, with, especially towards me the hell. And I know that Lord did a really good job of like uh, getting that sense of spite across. As I, uh, it is interesting that we never that we basically never learned exactly what it is that went on between them, but at the same time, it's one of those things that I don't think it really matters to what the show is going for anyway. So. I guess, uh, I guess you could not say just felt like leaving that up to interpretation. I'm not. I said, I got to feel like leaving it up to interpretation or just kind of one of days where it's like, I don't really need to bother going back to this. I don't know. Can, can I make a, can I make a <laughs> stupid point that just occurred to me? What? Sure. Hmm. I'm kind of glad this didn't get more popular because the sheer level of Sunny Boy Explained videos that'll be clogging up YouTube right now would make oh, me want to hurt someone. There's, there's, uh, it is funny you say that because I'm pretty sure ANN actually did make one. That's that's kind of amazing, actually. I, I you see ANN ENN has enough reasonable people there that I feel like they're not it, yeah, as it, stupid it, as what I'm thinking of. It, but, all right, yeah, who's yeah. who's gonna be the one with the, just the thumbnail set that just has the word? canceled all over it or problematic no problematic who who's the problematic one in the thumbnail oh, oh take your pick what do you want to focus on oh good anyways continue continue with your actual point yeah i definitely liked lord's performance and like andrew was saying i did I didn't like that he did kind of reconcile somewhat in the end, even if, again, it would have been... Okay, I mean, again, it wasn't, like, super important to learn what the deal was between them, because it's not, like, not important to what the show was trying to say, but I guess just, you know... <laughs> but, but, I, okay, but I guess just, like, you know, Daredevil's thinking it might have helped somewhat. I don't know. But either way, Lauren's performance was good. Um, and then Patrick Sainz's cap was a lot of fun. I mean, um... Yeah, Patrick said it's no stranger to playing meatheads, and that's kind of what Cap is early on. That's a, and definitely a guy who is, well, if not necessarily used to being in charge, he definitely, as I like how she kind of described it, he likes knowing where his position is. 
And if that position is a position of power, it's definitely one he is very happy to take. And the moment he gets power, he will happily abuse it for his own benefit, which Patrick gets across really well. And it, and it was definitely uh, both amusing and terrifying, just kind of, like, seeing how, like, how spiteful he got, like, the moment someone dared to challenge him, and I thought that Patrick uh, got that across really well, and also made him sound a little uh, unhinged when he hit Asakazu with that baseball bat. So, uh, got on Patrick. And it's an is it, and uh, that definitely contrasted really well with how funny it was when, like, he got a penalty of his own and I had to, like, run around naked. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, it was interesting. And it's interesting that the character is just kind of, like, relatively chill after that. And, uh, it was definitely very interesting hearing him, like, narrate the whole, like, baseball monkey saga. And Dr. Patrick Sykes did a really good job of making that sound very engrossing, even though we don't actually see any of it. So, uh, good job there. And yeah. then, uh, Ryan McKean is Hoshi. Uh, definitely very interesting. Like, this character was definitely very interesting, like y'all were saying. I totally thought this character was going to be an antagonist early on. He just very much gave that vibe. And, so, and very much gave the, the idea that he's like, like, I guess, always up to something. Or if not, like, actively scheming, I guess just, like... So, as, as, I mean, I guess just, you know, trying try to keep things a certain direction. I thought that Ryan did a really good job of kind of uh, getting that across, but I guess, like, she could not be described it. This character is basically just a politician, and uh, Ryan McKean does that really well. He's, I, uh, this character knows how to talk to people, how to, how to move them, and Ryan McKean gets that across really well. Uh, but at the same time, he's also, like, slightly more benevolent than that would imply, and Ryan does a really good job of uh, getting that across, too. Uh, we're definitely surprised at how generally helpful this character was, so, was with the other students towards the end, but uh, Ryan did a good job of selling it, and yeah, uh, all these performances were pretty good. Alright. Um, I'm on. A, th a thing that I appreciate about this show that I think, I mean, you see this in all the characters, but something I kind of like is the show likes to emphasize how these characters are, in fact, teenagers. Uh, and I, th I think, Hoshi, I think, is a good example of this. Um, Ho Hoshi's entire deal makes you feel like, he we mentioned it, he feels like he's going to be a bad guy. He doesn't end up being one, but everything from, like, his design to how Rai plays him, to kind of some, a lot of his actions early on, he just feels nefarious. He's not bad, he's just drawn that way. No, well, I think I think something that comes up is, there's the bit where he figures out, um, who is it? It's, uh, is it Mizuho, who's, like, shit-talking Machi online, apparently, or doing something? Yes. Yes. He mentions, like, oh, I had my, my dad's people, like, track down who did it. And there's very much a sense that, like, Hoshi means well, but he is still a product of his upbringing. He clearly comes from a family of wealth who are used to throwing their power around, and that's the only context he knows for how to help people. And I, I think, I just, I that's think that's a good an point. Like, I think that's an One of the things this show reminded me of, of is uh, Lord of the Flies, not specifically in the, like, man's inhumanity towards man aspect, but sort of in the sense of, like, if you take a bunch of kids and put them through British public school, this is how they're going to act out in the world. And a lot of these <laughs> characters kind of feel like 
if you take teenagers and put them in these circumstances, this is how they're going to react when they have to fend for themselves because they don't know what else to do with themselves because they're teenagers. They don't they they don't have anything else to work with. So Hoshi behaves like a shady politician because that's the world he knows. Even though that makes him look super fucking sketchy, even though he actually sincerely wants to help everybody and do the best he can. Uh, and I think Rai does that really well. Like, I definitely thought Hoshi was going to be up to no good, and that never really comes together. And I liked how Rai played him, because as time goes on, you can tell that, like, no, no, he actually wants to do the right thing. He's trying, goddammit. He just, he also doesn't know what he's doing. Because he, they're, they're at, like, the end of their third year, right? What does that make them, like, 16 or something? Uh... Probably closer to uh, 14, 15, actually. 14, yeah, like, uh, yeah, so, yeah, with, uh, yeah, with the way Japanese school system works, yeah, like 14 or 15, I would think. Yeah, cool. I know shit about what I was doing when I was 14 or 15. Kudos to this kid for, like, trying his best. Like, God. Um, and Rai's really good at that. Much the same way, like... Uh, like, I think same thing with kind of Machi. Like, she is trying her best, but, like, she is kind of confined by clearly a lot of, like expectation and how she feels she needs to act to get anywhere in the world. I think Lauren does that well. Um, also, uh, before I talk about Patrick, uh, Patrick, actual Patrick, <laughs> uh, how, how, how close, how close is the baseball episode to just being a secret base episode? Oh man. <laughs> can we, can, do they have a Patreon? Can we pay John Boyce and Alex Rubenstein to make a video about this fake baseball team? Oh man, I would, I would kill to see Secret Base do like, like an episode or maybe a series of episodes covering like sports episodes in like anime and television. Samurai shampoo, samurai shampoo. I need it. Look, look all, all I know is that Kofi, who does a lot of videos with John, is a big old weave. So like. Who knows? Anyways, Patrick. Patrick is he's 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 great here. Um, because well, Patrick is good at playing big lunkheads, but also getting at like the inner life of those lunkheads. Um, the the whole bit with the like the monkey baseball team is great, but I think my favorite part is I believe also in that episode is he's talking about how the thing that initially attracted him to baseball is that you know it's fun, but how so quickly that got swallowed up by like it's not about playing baseball it's about all the things that playing baseball can get you and you know, you know we're gonna go to nationals and it'll get you into a good college and all that kind of thing and just sort of his just is like melancholy at like i used to just play this because i liked playing it and then it became just an obligation and how you could tell that it was like in some like he's kind of happy this happened because he got to just reconnect with this sport he loved and not have it be like something he feels expected to do rather than something he wants to do yeah, uh, like it's 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 a it's a nice scene, and I, I I like that Patrick is the kind of actor who can still make him feel like you know kind of the you know the big brawny guy who's maybe not stupid, but just like has not been encouraged to think very hard about much of anything other than sports, um, but still has like a rich inner life that is worth talking about. It's good. It's a good performance. I like it a lot. Um, so I guess I'll start with Warren Landa. Um. There really isn't too, too much of her character compared to the the other two in this group, but, like, I do like the, 
sort of mini arc that she gets during the um, the second episode, where it's kind of explaining her relationship with Mizuho and basically something happened between them and they don't like each other. But over the course of the rest of the series, they slowly warm up to each other. Like, that was about the depth of her character, and, like, I, I really like those moments as she's warming up, and it's great. It, it's good. Patrick Seitz is a lovable doof. Uh, the baseball episode is, like, one of the pitch-perfect ones. Ah, uh, I see what you did there. Sort of the one-offs. Uh-huh. Pitch oh shit, I made a pun. Yeah, there. you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. I wasn't even trying. You did not strike out at all. I'm proud of you. Pitch perfect. Baseball pun. There we go. Um it, it was just one of those episodes that really kind of like for Patrick Seitz and the the monkey baseball episode, it's just he finally gets to vent about how much he loves playing baseball, but hates all the bullshit that surrounds it when you're playing at sort of a semi-professional high school level or middle school, where it's basically just, you know, you've got to use this to ride to the top. And he doesn't like that. And when he gets to sort of the island where most of the series is kind of focused around, um, he's finally free. And he comes to the realization that he actually kind of enjoys it. And that's... It, it was really one of the... It's one of the more beautiful arcs of of the show. And I, I thought Patrick Seitz was, like, really great in it. And then... Um, Ray McKean, as everybody has already kind of really adequately put it, um, he is basically a politician. Um, he means well, and honestly, I was going to bring up the subject of um, Lord of the Flies at some point. But yeah, that's basically... Ray McKean does a very good job with him in the sense that... Um, he does really well with this child who basically all he knows to resolve conflicts is to get in the mud and the shit. He is well aware that in in order to get anywhere in politics, you've got to dig dirt up on people and like do all this shady shit. And he just wants to help people and he thinks that's how he can do it. You know, by the time episode 11 rolls around and he's finally concluding his his story arc where he's basically leading the students to find basically a new home. Um, I, I thought that was really, really great, really beautiful and really poetic. Um, so really, all all three of these guys just... They give off such an energy in the first episode that completely 180s on you. And the actors behind them just really wonderfully, adequately are able to portray that. So, B 
big thumbs up all around. And with that, I think we're going to move on to our antagonists. Um, these are the actual characters that kind of throw a wrench in the works for everybody just kind of wanting to get home. Uh, first off, we have Miss Aki, a, a teacher who mysteriously appears on the island after, I believe, the second or third episode. Um, and just basically militarizes the kids. Um, completely turns them against, um, against Nagara. And just basically seems to be using all of them, especially Asakaze, to her own ends. Um, and then it's... It's revealed at the end of her... At the end of her debut episode that, um... Like, she's not who she seems to be. Uh, next up we have War, a mysterious sort of figure that drifts along the other worlds and, um... His power seems to be something incredibly destructive. Um, again, like a lot of the powers in the show, it's not clearly defined. Um, but he is clearly a dangerous figure. Um, that a bunch of the stronger... The kids with the stronger powers seem to be getting sent against... Uh, even though he really only has, like, a flashback worth of screen time, he is probably one of the most important characters that aren't the main body of students. Uh, and then we have basically God, but he is credited just under the name Voice. Uh, he manifests in the form of the principal of the school... And is basically, for reasons we're never clearly told, um, stymieing every attempt to return back to the world from whence these kids came. Getting on to the actors. Uh, Miss Aki is played by Trina Nishimura. War by Robert McCollum. And Voice, or God, or whatever you want to call him... Uh, is played by Frank Dodaro. Uh, Trina Nishimura, you would know from such roles as Mikasa Ackerman from Attack on Titan, uh, Jiro from My Hero Academia, and Natsume from Decadence. Uh, Robert McCollum, uh, you would know from such roles as Gridman from SSSS Gridman, uh, Sensui from Yu Yu Hakusho, and because Jet sent me a very, very deep cut. Um, he is Team Goten in Dragon Ball GT. Uh, Frank Todaro is... You would probably know him from such things as Shudelkin, a.k.a. Creepy Clown Dude from Sword Art Online Alicization. Uh, he is Rodrigo in Dragon Quest Your Story. Or Rodrigo? I think it's just Rodrigo. Rodrigo. I, I can't remember. Like the King Dude. Yes. Um, and I don't know if it's still going to be ongoing by the time this episode comes out, but you might hear him right now as, um, Lord Drolok from The Vampire Dies in No Time. Sad. Sad. 
Um, so I think for this group, I'm going to go ahead and pass the torch on to Amon to start with. Hmm. What a bunch of pieces of work these people are. Where to start? Uh, so you know how Hoshi just has bad vibes from the minute you see him? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, Miss Aki has really bad vibes. <laughs> it's the way her eyes are drawn, she looks wrong. She, you know what? Yeah, that that is it. It's, it's like, I... I don't, the, the ones of you who have read it, it's like, you start reading Chainsaw Man, even if you don't know anything about it, something about Maki just feels off. And eventually I realize it's like, her eyes look weird, that's unsettling. This is bad. And it's the same thing with her. Her eyes look wrong compared to everyone else. And it makes her look nefarious. They are cut from the same gaslight gatekeep girl boss cloth. And they run with it. Yeah, pretty much. Um... What was I going to say? Yeah, Miss, Miss Aki seems like she is bad business. And Trina sells that very, very well. Like, uh, just from the minute she walks out of the ocean, there's just a sense of like, mm, this isn't good. I don't know what's going to come of this yet, but it's not going to be great, I don't think. Uh, and Trina just really sells that. Like, she, like, just, she is a, she's given a character who is a force of personality and absolutely runs with it the whole time. Um, just, it, delightful in a weird way <laughs> even if it's not good necessarily um same with frank as the voice uh just what a hmm. what a whatever he is uh and i think frank just does a good job of making him seem imposing but also just there's a lot of like what's your angle here buddy why are you doing? There's a very, there's a very like trickster god aspect to him that I think he does well. Uh, just a dude, a dude who's clearly not being straight with anybody. Uh, to to the point where you you sometimes might even wonder, do you know what you're doing? God, are you are you making this up as you go along? Why are you? Why is this happening? Did I manipulate children because I really want to do a cool gunslinger thing? Yes. Uh, maybe the teenagers aren't the only one who act like teenagers in this show. Mm. Um, you might have a point there. Yeah. Uh, Frank's Frank's really good, though, as just this sort of imposing, omnipotent being that just sort of does things and doesn't really let anyone in on his agenda, including the audience. Uh, I, I, guys, I liked him a lot. Um, but my, my favorite of these three is probably Robert as War, just because... Boy, for a guy who only shows... He's only in the one episode, right? Am I imagining that? Yep. Yeah, he, yeah. he shows up for maybe, like, ten minutes. Robert's just really good playing this just... Just a nefarious... I was gonna say slime bag, but I feel like that doesn't describe him very well. He's very... Broken? The thing he reminds me of, because my, my brain is a junk drawer of everything I've ever read is uh there stephen king did a weird fantasy series called the dark tower and the lead character is basically uh what if clint eastwood's the man with no name but he's like the kind of fuck up who often stars in stephen king novels uh and there's kind of a point where he not really intentionally but he is kind of obsessed on this quest and just sort of uses people around him because that's just what he does that's how he's programmed basically 
and Ward just kind of feels like that. Like, he's doing a thing, and he's just going to keep doing that. And on, on some level, he doesn't quite care that it hurts anyone. Like, he might feel remorse deep down, but that's not going to stop him. Uh, he just does stuff, and he insults people because he, he, like, he thinks Slash knows that's what they want to hear. Uh, and spreads diseases around. He's, he's a... He's a real piece of work, but Robert plays him real well. Just very, like, striking and memorable. Uh, he, f he feels like one of those characters where if I, like, didn't watch this for, you know, you know, give me a year, I haven't seen this, I would imagine his character is in more of it, just because he feels too memorable to have only been in, like, maybe a third of one episode of these 12 episodes, you know? Yeah. Oof. He, I like Robert. He's always, he's always playing these minor characters really, really well and also being really upsetting at the same time. Uh, quality programming all around. Good stuff. Okay. Um, let's move on to Jet. Okay. Um, actually, I guess I'll start with Frank Tadaro as the voice. I... I thought he did a pretty good job giving this very kind of omnipotent but also kind of mysterious presence because we never quite learned we never quite learned what his deal was or why he sent these why he sent these kids to this world or what his agenda was but that's a, that's a, eh, but again it's one of those things that doesn't necessarily matter anyway but at any rate Grant's performance was definitely really appropriate for was really appropriate with that in mind because it definitely gave it a very interesting air of mystery. Especially like especially towards the end when like uh like towards the end of the show where Naga and Misa are like fine getting ready to leave and he just like gives them this very vague warning of like, oh I'm like, oh you shouldn't leave and they're like, Well, I mean, you're not saying we can't leave. And I thought that was like an interesting conversation. And I said, and I said, and I mean, there are all sorts of ways you can uh, interpret the meaning behind that, but I thought that was like a very uh, interesting conversation. And I, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I thought that Frank did a really good job of selling that. Uh, so, uh, Trinity Samora as Miss Aki. Uh, this is another character who I thought was going to be a lot more of an active antagonist than she actually ended up being. Like, she definitely is... Like, she definitely is antagonistic for, like, the first uh, couple of episodes she's introduced in. Like, she throws a wrench in the group. She turns everyone against Nagara for... That's a, that's a, uh, because, she try, because she convinces them that uh, his power is what actually sent everyone to... Is what said... Is what cause everyone to, like, be cast away to begin with when in reality it was actually Mizuno's power the whole time. And I, and I don't know, like, I assume she knew that, but again, we don't quite know what her agenda is anyway, so, like, she probably knew, but I guess she just wanted to manipulate the kids. And either way, she does have, like, a very, like, Manipulative presence, and especially with Asakaze, she does a really good job of just kind of like stringing him along, and I thought that Trina did a really good job of, I did a really good job of selling that. 
Again, I did think this kid. Again, I did think she was going to be like much more of an antagonistic threat throughout the show. But after those first couple of episodes, uh, after her introduction, she's just kind of like leading around the other kids. Uh, she gives them some sort of uh, graduation after giving, after like educating them on like how these worlds work and stuff. And then she just kind of, I guess, well, no, she well she doesn't shuffle off. But, you know, she. Gets out of the Kaze to fight war, and that's kind of like the last big thing she does. So, like, so, uh, like it's very, like it's a very interesting character, but like, it's it's one of those things where it's like I was very intrigued by the character, but I'm not totally sure what the purpose was after her introduction. Well, I, I yep. thought it was so we could have that bit where it turns into the magic school bus for part of an episode. Ah, that was pretty amazing. <laughs> I do, I do, uh, I do appreciate that this show is very committed to never taking the easy way out, if that makes sense. Oh mm -hmm. boy, does it oh, yeah. never! Like you, you could just make Miss Aki the villain, but it's way more interesting to make her kind of a wrench, but also someone who's maybe not actually trying to be antagonistic. She's just mean. Question mark. Maybe I she's think, not I... a villain. Maybe she's just an asshole. <laughs> Uh, and uh, then uh, writing it off, uh, Robert McCollum's war was uh, really interesting. So, uh, so again, this was, uh, again this was a very uh, kind of abstract character. So I guess like what it was supposed to represent would be like any number of things. But I thought that Robert McCollum did a pretty good job of making his introduction like appropriately unsettling. That's that's like something like something about this character just didn't quite feel right. I mean, because uh, especially like the way he kind of like opens up and like insulting Odama, I thought uh, that I thought that was like pretty unsettling. And Robert did a really good job of getting that across. And especially, and especially like when they're having that whole conversation. And, and and he's just like showing off all these battles of all the people he's killed, and it's like. Oh, oh, okay, you're definitely bad news. That's, uh, and, uh, and, yeah, but this was a pretty uh, interesting character. Definitely had, like, a very strong... A very strong presence. I mean, I mean I'm not totally sure if it was supposed to be, like, just, like, representative of the concept of, like, war in general or just, like, death as a concept, again... Because, again, this show is... And, like, again, this show is not very clear with its metaphors, but either way, it was an interesting character, and I thought Robert did a good job with him. Um, actually, this is a good opportunity to, um, to go ahead and segue into you, Andrew. Um, what did you think? Um, okay, because, you know what's good to segue? Because War was who I was going to start with. He's got a very small presence, but he made enough of an impact that I thought it was worth talking about him, because he's very... Odd with a really good design. I like the fact that he doesn't really sound sinister, despite having such this very menacing figure. He kind of sounds like a guy who really wants companionship, but also is like really, really fucked uh, in the head about how actual friendships and relationships should and do work yeah 
I told you you're disgusting because you seemed like you really wanted somebody to tell you you look disgusting because I wanted you to like me. Anyways, um, here's all the cool medals and stuff. I, I can do a lot of cool things. I can, I can kill people because, yeah, no, it's hard to die here. Um, isn't that cool? I brought you this cool thing. You, do you want to hang out with me? It's like, oh, you are. It, it's so uncomfortably, like, ch like innocent, awkward child in its hor horrific nature. And, like, Robert McCollum sells that, like, childlike sincerity. Especially even when he's petting, like, Yamabiko. And it's just like, oh, you're a good boy, but you're stuck inside your head. And it's just so odd, but stand out. And then there's Miss Aki. Trina's a bitch, and she's great at selling how much of a bitch this character is. Just delightfully, like, sinister and mean and manipulative. Like, she, like she just recognizes, okay... I'm going to I'm going to groom this child with a cool power and an ego trip with my boobs and then he'll do everything I want him to do until he's no longer useful. And it works. Until she eventually just gets bored with him and just kind of abandons him. Which man, fucking poor Asakaze where it's like, man, he kind of really fucks up in the end himself where at the end he has nothing. Yeah. That's a rough deal, bro. Um, but yeah, I, I love Miss Aki's, like, sinister, mean, drill sergeant bit she's got going for her. And it was just, like, I think Trina does a great job just elevating all of that. I think my favorite moment with her is, uh, it's when, like, they're on the mission trying to kill war with Kosetsu. And she kind of, like, stares into her eyes and she's like, I know what you're doing. And it's so creepy, and the frame is so creepy and unnerving. You're right, it's just the eyes. It's the eyes that don't look right. Because everybody else looks pretty normal and down to earth, but she just looks wrong. And then there's Frank Todaro as the voice of God himself. What a strange... He feels incomprehensible i feel like that's a great way to put it is that they made this godly figure uh, incomprehensible like a level of like eldridge chaos let you don't understand what his plan is you don't understand why he did it everybody that just goes to this middle school where he's the t where he's the principal at is just copied and is sent adrift into an unknowing, impossible world. And he's just like, yeah, that's that's just how the shit works. Sorry, kids. He's unknowable, incomprehensible. He doesn't even really seem like a villain. He's more of just like, I kind of wanted to see what would happen. Because, like, he, even at, like, the end of the series, he basically is, like, there's nothing waiting for you. I don't understand what you're going to get. You're not going to find what you're looking for. So why even try? He's almost, like, trying to, like, he's almost trying to, like, manipulate them being, like, 
I almost think in his mind he created a perfect world. And I think that's fascinating. And and Frank Dodaro sells how like intimidating and kind of creepy but also how very ethereal and larger than life he feels and Frank Dodaro sells everything about him perfectly and I was very impressed and I really think Frank Dodaro is fucking fantastic and I'm glad he's showing up in more anime lately. He's great. Uh, let me see where I am going to start. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead with Robert McCollum and Ward just because that's probably... War is probably the biggest threat of Sonny Boy, but at the same time, like, Robert McCollum, as War, maybe gets, like, eight, ten minutes of screen time at most. Um, mainly within a flashback. Um, it's great. It's very intimidating. War seemed... War seems like a child unaware of just what he is capable of. Like, just the sheer ability of being able to take a life is something beyond what the being known as War... Like... It's beyond his thought process, but he thinks he knows. He's trying to get the affection of everyone around him, but doesn't quite understand that, like... The ability to to die and or cause death is not something inherently good. Or at least as inherently good as, as in his own head. Um... So I'm going to go ahead and move on to um, Frank Todaro as the voice of God. I actually love the idea that this is basically some sort of bored deity um, trying to, or at least in his own mind, thinking that he's saving these kids from a lifetime of stagnation, but at the same time, especially in the final conversation between... Him and Nagara in episode 12, where he's just like, yeah, you, they're finally at the point where they can go home. And he's just sitting there in this imaginary entryway to the school. And he's just like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to go there. Like, there's nothing for you there. And, and Nagara's just like. Yeah, but you also never said we couldn't leave this place. And then he's like, well, I, you got me there. That was a great point to just end it. And mm, so good. I I love Frank Todaro just playing him. As, it, it's very abundantly clear that he is playing the voice of God as just like somebody who is very bored and has like... All of these pieces available to him, and he's just bending and manipulating them just to see what they do. And it's just, it's just so good. Uh, and then, oh my god, uh, Trina Nishimura as Misaki. Oh god, I can't remember the character's name, but um, 
this was where I was going to throw the analogy to um, Lord of the Flies in. Because she's basically the one who... She's basically the one who gets it into the other kids' head about the beast. She's very cold, calculating, manipulative. Um, she's malevolent at times, but not always. Um, it's just great. I, I love it so much. Um, all, all three of these uh, actors did such a great job with the, with the characters. So, um, with our next group, um, this is mainly, they mainly have a presence in episode eight, uh, via flashback, but one of them sort of shows up throughout. Uh, but it's a really beautiful story, and I wanted to um, sort of cover bases with both of the characters. Um, first of all, we have Yamada, um, a student from a class after after Nagata's had drifted off. Um, he has wandered through the many worlds for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Five thousand years, exactly. 5,000 years. Um, he stumbles onto one with a girl who can basically create whatever she wants. She's pretty damn near um, omnipotent, yeah. And more or less, he kind of falls in love with her and becomes something to her that she can... Um, I don't know if it's if it was his expressed desire to become a dog or if that was I, I think what she wanted, but he basically turned into a dog. Which, by the way, God, he's such a cute little boy. Oh my God, look at that big borker. Look at that good little boy. Little boy. Look, he may be a giant, but he is still baby. I, I get that, but he's like fucking mastiff size, dude. I would hug and cuddle the shit out of Yamabiko, okay? That's a good dog. I'm not saying that's wrong. He's just a he's just a big chunky boy. No, he's still baby. Fuck you. <laughs> he's good baby. Uh but any and um and so this girl, Kodama, um becomes sick with some sort of it, it almost seems like a metaphor for cancer. I can't remember if she dies, dies, or if it's like... They are all... Some stasis that is, like, metaphorical of death. They, 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 they are all not technically dead, but they're all basically permanently crystallized. Okay. And after she becomes non-functional, Yamato continues to wander the worlds and eventually bonds really strongly with uh, Mizuho but ultimately he cannot travel with her or Nagata back into the real world um, but anyway um, Yamada is played by Christopher Waycamp and Kodama by Jill Harris uh, you would know works from Chris Waycamp as performances like Miles Edgeworth and Ace Attorney uh, Mac in Megalobox 2 Nomad, and Izola in My Hero Academia. Izola? Uh, Jill Harris, you would know as Rika Takarada in Gridman, 
uh, Aletta in Restaurant to Another World, and Mayaka Inbara in Hyoka. All right, let's see here. Um, let's go ahead and start with Andrew. Oh, shit. Okay, cool. Um, sorry, sorry, you didn't catch me off guard. I was just like, because I was literally workshopping a, a realization as we were discussing about uh, uh, Yamada or Yamabiko and Kodama. Specifically about the fact that he is a dog or becomes a dog. Kodama didn't want a dog. She didn't want, like, an unquestioning, loyal servant. She wanted an equal to stand by her side, but also challenge her and, like, stand up for himself, too. She wanted to be by his side. He, she, he didn't want him to serve her. And I think that's ultimately what doomed their relationship and ultimately her in the end. That's a very somber revelation I just had about this, but I think, man, that... That really works, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with a really kind of somber show here anyway, so... Yeah, also, episode eight's probably, like, one of, like, the the strongest episodes in the show it's Ugh. it is yeah. something to behold but no uh jill harris is great as kodama she's got this very nice like peppy but ultimately like friendly tone presentation to her voice you can tell she really cares about people she really wants to help everybody but at some point her her kind nature and desires fail her once her judgment is kind of compromised and for better or for worse she kind of ends up putting her group in danger because of her nature to want to be a savior to everybody and that ultimately ended up do it, dooming her in the end but I really like her relationship with Yamato and I think it's a really great dynamic and I, I think she really did care for him a lot and really wanted to be by his side but you see her getting angry and sickly and it just gets like hard to watch as she's just kind of fading away and losing herself as Yamabiko's watching this and just kind of has, he can't really do anything to help her. It's for better or for worse, he's kind of doomed her in letting her effectively take control when he knows she's wrong about something by kind of being like a inactive force in her life he kind of destroyed that relationship hmm man is that f oh god oh god like i i thought it was interesting but the more i'm talking about it the more i'm like oh man mm. Ooh, we're talking actual relationship dynamics boy howdy yeah, boy howdy. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, no, Jill's fantastic. I really liked her as Kodama. She, she really stood out for the episode she was in and made a big wave. I love Chris Waycamp as Yamabiko. I adore him as this sort of strange... Like, he's almost like an alien creature when you first meet him. He is 
kind and sincere, but he's he's he talks like somebody who has been alive for thousands of years and has kind of lost their mind in humanity a little bit. But he is still kind-natured and really sweet. Also, he does good doggo noises. Yeah, I was just going to mention that because there was one bit, like, or there was one bit, like, early on during his introduction where he's like, oh, I'm not really dog. And I don't remember exactly what it is, me who says to him, but it's like, son of God, I know you are, actually, dog. And then he just makes, like, an actual dog noise, and I, like, almost died laughing. <laughs> I, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I love how, me, after a while, like, me is just like, paw, shake, roll over, who's a good boy, who's a good boy, and he's just yucking it up, and I'm like, aw, so good. Bang! Oh, you're supposed to play dead. He also has a good... He, I also like his relationship with Mizuho's cats, where it's kind of revealed in episode 9 that those cats can actually communicate and talk. Okay, no, they can't talk, but it's that Yamabiko can understand all of them. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting stuff. I, I liked his... I liked Yamabiko's dynamic to the characters and the group around him. Because he made a very good, interesting companion. And, like, Waycamp really gives him a level of warmth, kindness, and, like, stunted humanity that made him charming, alien, and really unique. I think Yamabiko is probably, like, one of my favorite characters in this. Not my favorite, but he's up there. He's up there. And Chris Waycamp does a good job. I'm done. Okay, um... Let us see here. Um, I'm on. Why don't you go ahead and go next? Sure. Uh, Jill is just lovely as Kodama. Um, like I agree with pretty much everything Andrew said. Uh, you you can really you get the sense of why these people were willing to follow her so readily. She is just such a warm, inviting person. Um, even though, as as you know, if you've watched it, like that ends up being used against her. Uh, which really makes the whole thing so tragic because she she is so like kind and loving and wants to protect everybody and it makes it all the sadder that she is ultimately not able to do that. Um, yeah, that's she she does a really good job. Like with War, like she leaves a strong impression, and given enough time, I think if I were to turn this, it'd be like, oh yeah, it's, that's right. These characters are only in this one episode, even though they feel like. They should have, you know, they, 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 they feel so impactful. You feel like they're in more of the story than they actually are. Um, she's just, she's just, she's really nice. That's a good, like a good, just for a one-off character, she lives a ver leaves a very strong impression. Uh, and yeah, and Christopher's, he's great. <laughs> he's just great. Yamada is such a fascinating character. He's... I, I, li I like that this, sh like, this show isn't like, like super realistic looking but there is a certain kind of baseline reality that a lot of the designs are coming from and i like that he is like way more stylized than that like the thing he reminds me of is like um have you ever seen the fantastic mr fox there's like a wolf character who shows up a couple times you only ever see yes yeah. and he looked like he looks like that like there's something much more like like he, like he looks like he looks like uh, uh, something I would see in like he he almost looks kind of like a stylized like deity in a sense. 
he look he looks like something that like not like an actual Egyptian hieroglyph, but if you were looking at like a piece of art that was using that as an influence, like that's what he looks like. He looks like he looks like he should be two dimensional, frankly. Um, and I, I I think Christopher does a good job of getting into the humanity that's still there. But I, like you were saying, he come, there's something alien about him. He comes off as like being here has changed him. You know, despite being stuck in a place that is fundamentally very static, being there has changed him a lot, both physically, emotionally, mentally. And, you know, he can connect with the humans, but ultimately, like, he's somewhere else now. And I think Christopher does a good job of balancing that, of making him feel like a relatable person, but also somebody who is... He's not quite of that anymore. He's, he's moved on in some fashion. Uh, and, and yes, the dog stuff is just very funny because he, he commits to it. It's the right level of serious but silly. I, I appreciate it. It's good. Yeah, I think Jet's up next. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, let's see. I will also start with uh, Kodama. I thought that Dill Harris did a very good job of this character. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, oh. sorry, you're good. My cat just jumped up on the desk, baby boy. I love you. Please don't do that. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, let me start that over. Uh, so, uh, Joe Harris as Kodama was a very interesting performance. Uh, this was definitely a character who had to uh, who had to take on a lot. Uh, so, so uh, basically, the. So, so, and basically the whole deal being that she was like clearly very giving and everyone expected a lot of her, but sorry, but uh, maybe a little too much and while it wasn't necessarily like eating away, eating away, eating away at her like directly, you could definitely, you definitely tell it was affecting her even if she herself wasn't really thinking that way. And it's not that Jill did a really good job of Jill did a really good job of like of getting that across, especially like during the bit where uh, Kodama like first introduced and Yamamiko is like having this whole conversation with her about how she looks now and like like and like and trying her and trying his best to, I mean I know I know, like not necessarily I guess downplay how like rabid she is now, but I guess. So, so, uh, so, uh, but I guess, you know, trying to be sweet to her still, and I thought that whole conversation uh, did a really good job of, like, setting the mood for that episode, and both of them did a really good job there. And, so, and, so, and her whole dynamic, and, like, in her whole dynamic with, like, Yamamiko in general was, like, pretty, and, and so, uh, was, like, pretty interesting with him being, like, very cynical towards her early on, and, like, her earnestness is kind of, like, Helping him to open up, but then maybe a little too much to the point where he just kind of became very overly reliant on overly reliant on her and putting her on a pedestal, and how that all kind of backfired. And then, like a lot, and then like her conversation with War was also really interesting because, like, because Kanami is like not if not necessarily a sunny character. She is at least like very optimistic. But then, like, her conversation with War is, like, maybe the one instance where you, like, see the character be very visibly shaken, and Jill did a really good job of getting that across, because, again, War is, like, very unsettling. And and I thought that dynamic was really interesting. So, like, all in all, Jill Harris, great job. And then, 
Chris Waycamp as Yanomiko, like Andrew was saying, there's definitely this kind of very otherworldly presence to the performance that were like he has clearly like been in this world so long that like he that like there's still some semblance of humanity there, but it's like mostly gone now. This is just kind of like who he is now, and he's if not necessarily made peace with that. It's just like like he knows this is who he is now, and I thought that uh, Chris Wakeham did a really good job of getting it across, and I thought he had like a pretty good dynamic with like Mizuho and Agara and kind of. It's and kind of like and, and kind of becoming their companion for a while, and especially especially with me the hell with him just kind of like, be, sort of begrudging, sort of begrudgingly becoming her actual dog, which was pretty funny. And then just and I mean it is kind of sad he couldn't go with them, but like, yeah, I guess Rue had just kind of like, become a little bit too attached to that world. And then again, going back to his whole, like, dynamic with Kodama, I did think that Chris Wake did a real good job of, like, making him come off as, like, really kind of cynical and jaded early on, where where he was just, like, clearly very used to being alone and wasn't, like, very willing to trust Kodama, and then just, like, gradually opening up to her with time, and Chris did a really good job of getting that across. And then, and then again, how that overreliance just kind of ultimately led to her downfall, and him realized that he could have did, and he could have done so much more for her if he like, if he had actually tried to stop her, and him kind of like having very serious regrets about that, and not that uh, Chris did a real good job of getting that across. So yeah, yeah these two very fine performances. Nice. Um, I think I'm also going to go ahead and start with Kodama, because honestly, in terms of the overarching presence of their performances, she had, like, the smallest, even though, like, I'm going to be honest, Jill Harris was kind of a powerhouse here, um, kind of playing this omnipotent, playful character at first, and then slowly growing weaker as, um... Yeah, as, as everybody was saying, uh, Yamada basically katoing to her was basically the force that ended up bringing her undoing. And as she's slowly weakening, there there's such a tragedy to it. And I... Unfortunately, there's not really a lot to say beyond that, but um, Jill Harris nailed it as Kadama. Like, no question. And then uh, Chris Wakecamp is Yamada, or Yamabiko. Um, I love how he's just sort of this calm presence throughout the series until we get to that flashback. Um, where he's just this hard ass who's been wandering all by himself for centuries. And then he finds somebody who actually challenges him to break out of his shell and he just kind of falls in love and then that love ultimately kind of poisons Kodama like I I think that's great and like let's be real Chris Waycamp is really great at the dog noises he's, he's a man of really many great. talents you, you never would think he can make a good doggo but he make good doggo. <laughs> um, 
really, there's not much more I can say that hasn't already been said. Um, these two are great, and, like, they lend themselves really well to the show and their roles within it. So, very big thumbs up. Um, for our penultimate group, um, we are going to be talking about um, Asakaze. Uh, it's... I don't think it was clear, like, um, how well he did at his academics back when, um, back when they were actually at a normal school. Um, but he seemed pretty popular. And then once everybody started getting powers, he seemed to get one of the most, one of the bigger ones. Um, seemingly it is the ability to, like, break or fracture stuff I like i don't know if it's I like i think he can literally tear reality apart okay well like i said none of these powers are really very clearly defined and it's pretty but it's pretty clear that like he got he won the lottery with these things i'd argue somebody else did and he's gonna be talked about too mm. oh yes um, and then there's Rajdani. He mentions that he is an exchange student. Um, when he drifts over into the other world, he gains what I think is the ability to create tools. Um, his goal is to basically understand the nature of the other worlds out there. Uh, and to that end, he enlists uh, Nozomi, Mizuho, and Nagara, um, who basically become his biggest allies to this goal, even as, like, the other kids in the class start going off to do their own things. Um, oh, and Asakaze also kind of gets manipulated into basically entering into Miss Aki's whims, whatever those might be. She She's... She she she's got some pretty big whims, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but then he also has a crush on Nozomi, basically, for her sort of defiance of everything that's going on. Uh, anyway, Asakaze is played by Damon Mills, and Rajdani by an actor by the name of Siddhartha Minas. Uh, Damon Mills, you would know from such roles as Kai in Beastars. Uh, Kaoru Nagisa in the Amazon redubs of the Rebuild of Evangelion films. Uh, and Yakov Feltzman in Yuri on Ice. Uh, this is actually the first anime role for Siddhartha Minas. Um, but if you sort of follow web animation and, like, mobile games, you may have heard him as, um... Dionysus and Dracula in a game called Mythic Heroes. Um, and Vince in, I think it's, I think that's a web sort of cartoon kind of thing. Um, and something called Chaos Parade. Nice. Nice. Um, gonna go ahead and have Amon start us off. Where to start? Masakaze is such a little punk. He is. 
I feel I feel like I I've, I've Damon's a good actor. I think we're all in agreement on that. He has a comically wide range. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I almost, I almost don't know what to say because it's like, wow, David Mills turned in another excellent performance in anime. Uh, it must be Tuesday. <laughs> it's actually Wednesday when we're recording that, but uh, you don't know that. Um, and I, I, I like how he plays Asakaze. Asakaze reminds me. Uh, there's there's this semi-obscure Marvel character called the Sentry, and the gimmick of his is like, hey, what if Superman existed in the Marvel Universe, i.e. he was just kind of a little messed up because everyone in Marvel's a little messed up? Uh, just like, he's a dude with infinite power, but he's just really hung up on a lot of his just petty bullshit that he can't get over because he's 14 and, you know... Just because he can fly doesn't mean he knows how to express himself any better than he did two days ago. Uh, and like, I, I like how I like how Damon plays him. He does a good job of making him feel like cool to a point. Like in that first episode when he's standing up to the student council, you feel like, yeah, yeah, rebel guy, yeah, yeah. yeah I can, I, you know, you you can see why people are thinking he's he's a you know he's a guy to follow and and get behind. Uh, and I think Damon does that, but he also does a good job of just showing his just sort of vulnerability and the ways in which he is kind of, you know, small and pathetic because he's he's a teenager who has weird squishy emotions he doesn't know what to do with, and he doesn't know why the why the cool girl keeps looking at this weird doormat that's also in their class and not him, the cool guy who can alter reality. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I'm on, actually, you know, now you mentioned that, like, he thinks he's a cool rebel. Like, you know, this actually, this, uh, I was going to bring this up with nerds of me, but now that you've said it, it actually makes it an interesting contrast. Like, Azakaze is, like, the stereotype of, like, what, pe- what most people would think a typical teen rebel is. Like, uh, like you know, like, uh, you know, like, pretends he doesn't like authority, you know, he wants everyone to think he's really cool. He'd definitely be the guy who'd be like, ooh, like... You can tell me what to do. I'm gonna like smoke and drink if I want to, like that kind of kid. And I know to me is like what an actual teen rebel is. Just like very clearly, just marches to the beat of her own drum. Just kind of like doesn't really follow the crowd and just very clearly does her own thing. Yeah, Asakaze is the public perception of a James Dean character. Nozomi is an actual James Dean character. Oh, there we go. Like I've seen, I've seen Reservoir Without a Cause. Yeah, he's cool, but he's also just deeply miserable. Like, that's not that's not actually something you'd probably want to aspire to, uh, or at least it's something that's kind of a pain to deal with because because of you know you're a teenager, you're rebelling against the thing. I I I, I appreciate I I appreciate how like literate this this show is. I I enjoy how much of it feels like I can see bits and pieces of stuff that inspired it, but in a like cohesive way where it's like i like this concept i'm going to use that as a platform to go in a new interesting direction and not just rehash the book you know whatever i'm drawing influence from it's like it's nice yeah um anyways um yeah damon damon is great again i almost i don't almost don't know what to say because he's so consistently good um i do a lot i feel like i have more to say about siddhartha because i'm not familiar with this guy this is definitely this is as far as i know the first thing i've heard him in he's excellent uh, he's great. Uh, Rajani is just a really interesting character because he he knows things. 
he know he knows things more so than anyone else, and I I appreciate him being kind of like the the lens that all of the kind of curiosity about their situation is, and also kind of accepting what they can and can't understand about it is. Um, and he's just such a wonderful foil for everyone else. Like he he. I think we were joking, like, uh, would would Rajani be a guy who avoids, like, <laughs> NFTs or a guy who would be, who would just position himself near the top of the pyramid to take advantage of I'm it? I'm so glad you brought this up. Yeah. I, no, I like that, because Rajani feels like a guy who is both, like, very sincere and friendly, but that doesn't mean he can't be, like, crafty if he wants to. Yeah. And I, and I think Siddhartha does a good job. It's like, Rajani feels like a guy who you want to have your back. But, but he, can, he can probably screw around with you if you really wanted to. No, he 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 turns in a really good performance. Like I think Rajani has one of the more interesting arcs, uh, especially as being one of the one of the guys who sticks with uh, Mizuho and Nagara the longest, but also elects at the end to not go back. Um, he's just he's just yeah, I, I don't know. There's just something like really fascinating about him. He feels like a kind of character who's. Probably not hard to play okay, but really hard to play well. And I think he plays. I think he plays him really well. And I'm, I'm kind of. This is one of these things where, like, I do hope this becomes a springboard for a lot more work for him. He's clearly like a very talented actor, and uh, I think people would be foolish to not take advantage of that now that he's been in something a little more high profile than the kind of web proje projects he was doing prior to this. Like, he's got he's got good chops. I want to hear him in more stuff. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll go have the God ability to talk today. Um, I'll go ahead and have Jet go next. Oh, uh, uh, okay, uh, so yeah, I guess I'll also start with uh, David Mills and that's a guy say. Like Bob said, uh, David Mills has yet to turn in a single bad performance in anything, and that's not about to start now. He does a really great job here as Asakaze. And like I was kind of saying before, it doesn't really get up making him come off with like a very stereotype of what most people think a rebel team would be. Like he tries really hard to come off as very edgy and cool, and he definitely tries to give off that persona. But at the same time, it is also very clear that he's like very annoyed <laughs> that Nozomi keeps looking at Nogger instead of him, which makes it very easy for Misaki to take advantage of him. And say, and and David does a really good job of like getting, of getting a lot of that frustration across. And say, and and it's and it is kind of contrasted uh, pretty well when uh, that one, say, uh, when that one, that one girl with the mind reading power who has the curse on him, kind of uh, kind of uh, kind of figures him out and he gets like really embarrassed about it because he's like, oh no, 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 no I'm not cool. <laughs> 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 and then, and then, like him finally having a serious talk with Nozomi, where he's like, "Oh well, uh, yeah, the reason I'm turning down is like I can't respect you." And and him just, I guess, happy to come to terms with that, which was a pretty interesting bit of character development. Which I don't want to say makes it weirder how the show ends, but it is odd. But it is kind of a little odd that when we get back to the real world, he and Nozomi are just like together. I I okay, thought that was very okay, can, interesting, but I also kind you, of could believe it. You say, yeah, because okay, yeah, yeah, here's the thing, like, yeah, because, like, it would have been very kind of annoying with Fulfillment if Nagara, like, ended up with Nozomi, so I'm kind of glad that didn't 
so I'm glad that didn't happen. It's just weird, but even with that in mind, it is just weird. Natsukaze got what he wanted. <laughs> As, I, I mean, before, I mean, before, like, from the very beginning, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, it would be very weird if not grasped me to get what knows me, so I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, man, anyway, yeah, David did a really good job of just making him sound like a very dumb, edgy teen boy, and it was a fine performance. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, Sadafra Menas as, uh, Razdani, uh, really, really dunked his performance. Uh, have definitely not heard any of his work before, but I thought he turned out, I thought he turned out a really fantastic performance, he did a really good job of making Razdani come up as just, like, a very, like, a very curious guy, just kind of, like, wanting to know as much as he can about, like, the nature of his world, he, the nature of this world he's found himself in and trying to learn as much as possible. So, uh, but at the same time, he's also just, like, this very chill and reasonable dude, like, so, like, he, like, he's clearly, like, he's, like, he's smart and he knows he's smart, but he doesn't, like, so, uh, but he's not the kind of person who flaunts it. He's so very nice to the people around him. So, and, so, and like, so, and even when there's a lot of situations where like everyone's trying to pin the blame on somebody else, he's always like the first person to be like, "Okay, no, let's like, like, okay, no, let's be reasonable about this. Let's try to figure out what's actually going on." He's always the first person to do that. I thought that was like a really fascinating aspect of that character. And I thought Sonarfa did a really good job of like uh, getting that across really well. And so, and so, and, so, and it was inevitably. Uh, it was definitely interesting that he was probably like uh, the longest running companion, the longest running companion on the show, and I definitely really like that because it feels I don't because it feels like a, I don't feel like in a lesser show he would be a minor character, but like I'm glad I, I'm glad he stuck around this long. And then yeah. it was definitely very interesting when he went on like the two thousand year journey, and he's like talking about all the different worlds he's seen and especially like and especially like uh, especially like this one where someone actually did like experience the concept of death in that world and him just I guess. I, I was very <laughs> curious if that was him as the mad scientist or if there actually was somebody else. I couldn't tell it's, it's, and that it, made it, it fascinating. Yeah, I have yeah. a hunch Yeah, yeah it felt I'll... very big it felt very big as to whether or not it was Sorry, him. what'd you say Patrick? Uh, uh, but yeah, he, uh, but yeah, uh, out, he was just like a very chill, nice dude. And I appreciated that, uh, and I appreciated while well, he did have, it's like, uh, that while well, he did have the axe, that while well, he did have the accent, it wasn't like really overplayed. It just kind of worked in the performance very naturally. So, and I thought that also, I thought that also helped to add a lot of nuance to the character and like, yeah, this is a really good performance. I mean, uh, definitely on my radar now, and I really hope he gets more work in the future. He did a really great job. Frankly, this was probably my favorite performance in the dub, if I'm being honest. Mm. All right. <laughs> Fair. So, Andrew, what you got? Damon Mills is a fantastic actor and continues to do great work. I love... I, I, David Mills does an excellent job sounding like this kind of like nothing matters to him at all. He's so cool and so important and so like really good at what he does. 
but like he's extremely insecure and really wants Nozomi to notice him. Oh man, he there is a fun relationship like diagram by the end of episode 10 where it's like the girl in the cast uh she can read everybody's mind she knows that one awkward guy who i'm like 90 percent sure is voiced by chris rager is into her and he's like oh man i really should confess to her but like um i i, I don't want to ruin things maybe i can still ask her to hang out or something like that and she's like oh god this is so awkward i gotta get out of here because she's actually really super into Asakaze. Because she she's the only one who really knows how he actually thinks and feels. He's not just a tough, cool guy. He's, all, he's also really sensitive and really caring and wants people to notice him. Oh my god. She's the I can fix him type. <laughs> <laughs> you are only just now coming to this realization. Yes! Yes, I just picked up that she's the I can fix him type. But even she's just like, yeah, no, you kind of suck. So she eventually ditches him and joins Hoshi. Leaving him by himself. I think that's interesting. But yeah, she's got a thing for him. He's got a thing for Nozomi. And Nozomi is a free spirit, untamed wild stallion, goes wherever she pleases. Even if that means careening off. A cliff. A cliff. Anyways, yeah, Damon Mill is fantastic. I really like him. I, I really think he's got a level of complexity, and I love his relationship with the other characters. And I kind of like at the end, when he's just kind of broken, and he's just like, this is her compass. Do what you gotta do. I think he even... I think it's very subtle, but I think it kind of implies he helps them get out at the end. And that brings mm -hmm. us to, yeah, no, David Mills is great. And I love Siddhartha as Rajani. One of the best things about the post-COVID era of dubs is the fact that it has opened the world for all these possibilities of potential casting and dubbing possibilities. I know, at least prior to COVID... It, you will very rarely see, like, Southeast Asian characters in anime, period. So I feel like I appreciate that Sunny Boy, in the end, took a chance with getting an actor who can fit a character like Rajani and opening it up to the whole world. So they found Siddhartha, and he is in British Columbia, Canada, by the way. That's where he's located, for anybody curious. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So he's, he's, a, he's a Canadian actor of Southeast Asian descent. And... Yeah, he's fucking fantastic. He's perfect. He, he absolutely perfect. He nails Rajani's kind of friendly and helpful, but also his insatiable curiosity and a little bit of his manic craziness, too. Because he's, like, friendly and smart and intelligent, but he's also a little bit of a mad scientist as well. Like, I, I love, like, after the fact that they've kind of accepted there's no way back home, he kind of goes mad with his ant... He goes mad with his ant farm. And then he's just like, oh, I'm, I, I'm observing, and I get to see them all interact. Ooh, I feel so... Like, he, he does that almost in a way of, like, feeling powerful after feeling hopeless. 
So he kind of turns to being powerful enough to be over a bunch of ants. And then his ants get stolen from him. He's like, no way! No! My ants! Why would you do that? He's also a huge Super Mario Brothers fanboy. Because he, he just has a Game Boy and he literally creates Mario Brothers 3 power-ups. Because he like lets those to be borrow like the the raccoon suit, and then she lights on fire, and then he throws a bucket at her to test his theory. But he is just a friendly, interesting character and person. And I think he captures all the... Since he ca the other thing I love is after he pops back again in episode 11. Rajani is, the si is a very similar person, but he's a much wiser, experienced change person. He has dealt with a lot of moral quandaries and revelations about people who have succumbed to temptation in this world of stasis. Questions like... I think that he answers the very interesting questions about living in a world of death. About trying to create death in a world where nobody is dying. And a world of somebody living in the past. But can't face forward. Where, he, where it's like, it's kind of like this juice-up-y, gossiping thing he's talking to Mizuho over. But then it kind of turns into a really profound moment. And I think it kind of create like, there's a line that's uttered by Mizuho when he's telling her the story about a guy who was so in love with this girl and, like, wanted to stay in the past, but she couldn't stay with him anymore. And something Mizuho said that stuck with me. She didn't want to relive old memories with him. She wanted them to create a future together and go into the unknown. Rajani is such a sincere, genuinely fun, interesting, and unique character. He's one of the best characters in the show, and I love at how wise and interesting he gets. I appreciate that the show did not go the safe route. And went with something challenge, something different, and found something truly spectacular in Siddhartha Manas. I'm really glad they casted him. I think he's absolutely one of the best performances in the dub period, and I goddamn better see him pop up in more things in the future. He absolutely is worth it. Mm-hmm. So, I guess that means it's my turn now. Um, yeah, I. Don't know if there's too much more to Asakaze I can add that you guys haven't already said. Um, Damon Mills is just a great actor. Um, and he plays Asakaze with such this spoiled brat energy. And it's just an absolute delight. Um, he just, like, easily gets used and manipulated because... He doesn't quite know how to interact with other people, and, like, it's it's really good. Really good. Um, but I think of this category, like, the one we, I, the one we want to talk about at the moment, and, like, I think the reason a lot of us, like, signed on to this episode in the first place is... Uh, Siddhartha Minas' performance as uh, Rajdani. And <sighs> what's great about it is, like, 
it starts off so subdued. And then when he's actually like trying to work out the laws of the worlds, like he gets his manic curiosity. And then all of a sudden, after he goes off on this journey and disappears for like two or three episodes, um, he comes back in episode 11 and just delivers one of the most powerful monologues I have ever heard in an anime. Which is basically him recounting stories of his 2,000 year journey throughout the cosmos. Um, and in particular, like the, the story he has with the, uh, with the world of the guy who cannot let go of the past, like that was great, but it was the one with the person who is trying to find death in a world that can't die. Cause I'm going to be honest. I think the person he encountered is actually war. Or some incarnation of him. You know... I was thinking that was a possibility on my rewatch. And, like, the visual metaphor of the electric chair... God! That is such... Like, vocal performance and, and visual design... It, they just came together so beautifully and just like Siddhartha Minhas is just a great actor who who kind of came into this role and is just like he was really good with it and you know we we've had this conversation several many many times on the show about like actors of color playing characters of color and it's just like it's wonderful to see and then like this is a name i had never heard of before until this show and now that he's here and now that he's played this character and just absolutely nailed it i want to see him in more things like i think that's the beautiful thing about sort of this record from home era is that like you have this opportunity for experimentation that at the very least sorry um that you know at the very least at least a couple directors for for funimation and for studios in california are like actively seeking out I think it's a really beautiful thing. And I want to see more of this. Mm. Like, wow, holy fuck. Like, if there, if there are actors like Siddhartha Minas who managed to get an opportunity to show his stuff through Sunny Boy, like, imagine how many others are out there. You know? It's opened the door, and it's given some people who probably otherwise wouldn't have a real shot in this industry, and that's pretty goddamn great. Like, at this point, all you need is, like, a mic, a decent computer, and 
a room you can soundproof and you basically you have a shot at the very least I, th I think my biggest takeaway this isn't really a sunny boy thing but this is like I'm really happy that the pa out of after the past like two years it feels like the industry has truly embraced the possibility of remote recording instead of but like basically trying to lock back into what the old normal was. And I'm really, really happy that they are embracing it rather than stubbornly trying to fight the tide. Yeah. Um, anyway, both of these performances were absolutely spectacular. Like, massive thumbs up. Um, but we are starting to run a bit long, so I do want to get to our last group. First of all, we have Nozomi. Um, her ability is this light she can see that is basically a beacon to take them home. She is the human personification of a compass. Pretty much. This very much um, comes into play later. And at a point in time where they actually manage to do find their way home, but then learn that they're basically copies of other versions of themselves. Um, she also comes to find out that she's dead. That's a lot for any person to process. And she kind of takes it like a champ. Yeah. And that's only episode six of 12. <laughs> that's only the halfway mark. Yeah. Oh, uh, and, and then we have Mizuho, um, a really, interestingly complicated character um her ability is that she has cats who can basically get her whatever she wants um and they all in combination with nagara they might have been responsible for the drifting in the first place and like i could go on and on about mizuho's backstory but like i'm gonna keep it there for now um needless to say i it's implied that there's, like, some level of abuse or neglect in her life. I, I, I get the impression that, yeah, her family is not exactly warm and kind, so she takes to these cats and feels like... It, it's that she takes to the cats and she feels like she has to take care of them, but in the minds of the cats, they are the ones that have been taking care of her, and that's... Right. That's fucking beautiful. Um, and then we have Nagara, um, a boy who also seems to be in a very difficult family situation. Um, he has no direction in his life, and then at the time of the drifting, he gains the ability to basically escape to other worlds. And that ends up being at least part of the basis for the, the drifting that ends up happening. Uh, and then he's almost exclusively blamed for it, even though he's the one probably most actively trying to look for a solution, even after everybody has basically given up. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, so with that, uh, so uh, Nagara is played by Derek Snow. 
Uh, Nozomi by Lucy Christian. And Mizuho by Tia Ballard. Uh, Derek Snow, you would know from such roles as Danny from Angels of Death. Uh, Shinra Kusakabe in Fire Force. And Ikuto Tsumura in Smile Down the Runway. Uh, Lucy Christian, you would know as Kiritachibana in After the Rain. Uh, Ochako Urahara in My Hero Academia. And Queen Healing in Ranking of Kings. Uh, Tia Ballard, you would know as the Princess Fina Forte in Back Arrow. Uh, Happy in both Fairy Tale and Eden Zero. Um, and she is also now Carrot in One Piece. Alright, yeah, anyway, anyway. Um, let's go ahead and start this off with Jet. Okay, um, so, yeah, I guess I'll... Hmm. I guess I'll start this with Lucy Christian and Nozomi, I guess. Uh, this was very... This, I, uh, I mean, uh, Lucy Christian has yet to turn in a bad performance, and uh, this, was, this one was also really good. And like I was saying before, she did a really good job of making uh, Nozomi come off like an actual teen rebel. Like, so I, that's, that's, uh, that's very clearly she marched into the meat of her own drum, doesn't really... Uh, go with the crowd, and she just kind of does what she wants because she wants to, and it's just kind of like a very naturally cool person. And uh, Lucy does a really good job of getting of getting that across really well, just kind of making her come off as very kind of relaxed and nonchalant about everything. And that contrasts, and uh, and kind of how that contrasts really well with Nagara and how much of like and how much he's just kind of like trying to escape everything, and they have like a pretty. And they have, like, a pretty uh, interesting little dynamic. But, but at the same time, like, even though she is, like, this very uh, kind of naturally cool kind of rebel kid, uh, she, even she has her own, like, little insecurities. Like, there's a, uh, like she does kind of, uh, like, she does kind of feel like, she does kind of feel like she can't really... At the end of the day, she can't really do anything on her own, even though she tries to be so independent of other people, which is uh, something that Kaze calls out, and it is it is very interesting that that gets to her, and I thought that Lucy did a really good job of kind of uh, getting getting across her frustrations there. And then, of course, like, it's really about the Kaze, they kind of like their last scene together, where, like, she reveals why she rejected him in the first place, and and kind of take him, I guess, kind of get out of his old little edge ward phase and grow from that was really interesting. And I thought that both Lucy and David did a really good job in that scene. And as a, and I mean, the nature of her character in general was kind of odd because it was, as a, I mean, it was kind of implied that I guess she might have died prior to them drifting. It was sort of unclear. I mean, okay, like, we know, okay, like, we know she had definitely, like, met Nagara beforehand, but it is unclear if she had, I guess, died from some unknown cause, like, before they drifted. It was weird. Uh, and then, uh, getting into, um, so, uh, getting into Tia, I thought she did a really good job as Mizuho. Uh, and uh, and contrasted to uh, Nozomi, 
I kind of have to do to me, she's like a little bit more of a kind of very typical grumpy teenager who's, is it like, she's not like, I guess going out of her way to be edgy, but she's just kind of like clearly very irritable and not very sociable with other people. And Tia does a really good job of getting uh, that across really well. Where she's, uh, where she's just like clearly not very good at dealing with other people and just kind of like playing with her cats. And, and, and I thought that Tia did a really good job of like uh, getting that across really well. And it's like, man, and I said it really is odd. And they got the character. They got the actress who plays Happy to do a character who's just kind of like sitting and playing with her cats. I do appreciate the irony. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she. I also thought she had like a pretty good. She had like a pretty good dynamic with Nagara where. There's a, there's a, there's a, and where her grumpy attitude kind of contrasts really well with like how like this effect that he tends to act towards everything and as a, as a, and well as a, and how she and how she kind of like gets him out of her out of his head space occasionally in her own way but at the same time he kind of as a, as a, and, as a, and, at the, and at the same time he kind of recognizes where she can be a little hypocritical and I thought that. The two of them bounce off of each other pretty well. And it is, kind of, it is kind of interesting that at the end of the show, it was just kind of like the two of them going back to their own, finally going back to their original world, and that was uh, interesting. And then lastly, at Derek's there with Nagara. Uh, I mean, this would I mostly associate him with Shinra from Fire Force, and while I know he... I know he definitely has a wide character range and it's definitely very interesting. Contrasting Shinra, who is like very loud, who is very, you know, loud shonen hero to Nagara, who is just this very quiet, disaffected teenager who's uh, just trying really, really hard to escape his problems and kind of like, I guess, pretend he doesn't care about anything, but it's just kind of like very clearly, it's not, uh, but it's just like clearly deeply afraid of dealing with other people, which is something I can kind of relate to in some respects. And I thought that there, and another Derek did a really good job of uh, selling this character. And so, uh, definitely the kind of way he tries to pretend like he has a very disaffected attitude towards everything, and then a lot of like, the vulnerability he's kind of hiding underneath that. Uh, Derek did a really good job of contrasting that, and he, as a, and, uh, he does a really good job of uh, playing off of other characters like uh, Lucy Christian and Zozami and Tia Bauer and Zazmizu uh, really well and they all have like a pretty good dynamic and of course it is like interesting seeing how Nagara grows over the course of the show where as a, where he does kind of uh, where he does kind of learn to like face his problems more directly as he's kind of uh, going across these worlds and sort of as a, as a, and, as a, and I guess sort of coming to terms with like the major memory that's happening. So, and, uh, so, and, uh, so, and then when he finally like gets free from this world of stagnation and he's uh, back in his own world, like life is so hard. It doesn't really get any. It doesn't really get any immediately better for him. And he kind of knew it was going to be this way, but he's still uh, ready to. Uh, but he's still ready to face the future and come what may. And I thought that Derek did a good job of getting that across. And is and. Um, so, and as one last little thing, I know I said I was okay. I know I said that I was perfectly fine with like Nagara and Nozomi not getting together. 
I was a, uh, I was a little. You wanted him to stick his hand out and ask to be friends. So, yeah, I, I, I did at least want him, and I did at least maybe want him and Mizuno to like stay together. But I guess that didn't work out I, either. Which, which, which again, that does fit with the nature of the show, which is kind of. I'll be honest. Part. I don't think that means they're not gonna stick together. I think that just means that the future is. There is so much time for the future, even if that doesn't mean right now. The thing that's already changed is the the way he views it and the way he approaches even facing, like, a defenseless bird. Yeah, um, I was actually gonna have you go next, because it sounded like you were chopping at the bit to say some stuff. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, the show's good. The show's good! They're, they did good performances, moving... No, 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 I'm not gonna do that. Lucy Christian as Nozomi. Uh, she's very interesting she's like you can definitely tell from her performance that she is kind of like this funky girl who's she's not quite rude and she's not quite like she is absolutely fully free-spirited to the point that she does what she wants to do how she wants to do it and she stays true to herself pretty much for the entirety of the show actually like from episode one when Cap is almost like, you gotta join the group text. I can give you a smartphone. And she's like, hey, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. Hey, could you give me that phone? Chucks it. <laughs> and that that's just Nozomi. To a T, and she is true to herself. Even when she's intimidated, she is true to herself. And she sees something in Nagara and really just... She really wanted to connect with him. At the end of the day, she really wanted to connect with him and get to understand and know him better. And she did. I actually really liked their relationship throughout the show, and I actually really think like his desire to want to be a better person and to stay them to stay friends even if they don't remember each other is really sweet. Yeah. And, like, I, I do agree. I think on the first watch I was a little annoyed he didn't stick his hand out. But I think... I think it's the kind of thing where it's like... I don't think they won't. I think it's that the future is intimidating, but... He's going to change, and their relationship is already more changed than it was prior. And I think, mm-hmm. And I think he will reach out. And I think she'll reach out, too. And I think that's great. And I think Lucy does a great job selling this spunky girl who's a free spirit, but also kind of chaotic and fun and really interesting. And I love her bouncing off other characters. Tia Ballard as Mizuho. Mizuho might actually be my favorite character in the show. She's really interesting. There's so much going on there. There. So, okay, by the way, another thing about the show. Um... There's so much that is implied, but nothing that's ever really explicitly said about these characters and their past. Like, anytime they do go into that, it feels like they need... To, it's it's like it's like Shingo Natsume reluctantly being like, Oh shit, I guess I do have to make something text instead of subtext, don't I? Fine. Because, like, a lot of it's very much implied and just sort of... Like, you you mentioned, it's sort of implied that she's, like, neglected or her family doesn't really pay attention to her. And she kind of acted out and recluded in 
because she wanted attention. By the way, there's one thing that I really wish they elaborated on because it was a really cool thing, but I think it's legitimately like... I think she had a crush on her teacher, and to try and feel closer to him, she made a copy of his wedding ring, his wedding, his wedding band. Oh yeah. Yep. Like that's something I real. That's one of the. That's one of the hanging threads I kind of wanted to know more about, but it tells me just enough. I don't believe there was anything there, but I believe she wanted there to be something there. And she copied the ring. Because we learned that her powers cop is basically a copy that the cats do. And I love her cats. I love how much she loves her cats. I love how much she she likes Yamabiko and is like a good owner. I love the fact that she is just an animal lover who just... She really grows as a person and I love her relationship with, uh, with Nagara. And I think I would have actually been okay if those two were an item. Not gonna lie. Tia brings this very somber, almost like sullen bitterness to her while making her come out of her shell a lot more. Showing that she's a lot more sensitive than she lets on and growing as a person, as a character. And it's really heartfelt and genuine. And Tia... Like, Tia is playing a much more different character than a lot of her other characters I've seen and I think it's really interesting it's really complex and it's it's a really perfect fit I think I think Tia Ballard's playing something very out of her typical comfort range and I think she excels spectacularly and then there's Derek Snow this is probably the most like somber and quiet Derek Snow I've ever heard but he captures everything that Nagara is perfectly he captures this kind of like aimless, quiet doormat of a person with no direction and is incomplete. Before the drift, Nagara was in stasis in his life. He had no direction. He had no aim. He had no purpose. He was not living. He was merely existing. And then he was forced into a world... Where they are, none of them are living, they are only existing. And his growth about the adventures and the experiences he has changes him. And he decides he wants to take control. He wants to get his life back. There's some. There's something that's. I, I remember when he's encountering the voice of God, and he asks, "Well, like, what do you think you'll get?" Nobody, you're like, there's no chance. Nobody's gonna remember you. None of this is gonna matter. Your life is only going to be so much worse and so much harder from here on out. And Nagara says something that really stuck with me, and I think it's like a perfect thesis statement for what this show is trying to say. Only the things that can happen will happen. All we're doing now is re-rolling the dice. Because you can't turn mm -hmm. back... You can't undo. You can't turn back time. You can't undo or erase the decisions you've made. All you can do... Is keep on facing forward. And pursuing... Life. As it comes at you. 
with everything you can. It's and it's not going to be great. This it's the show. They go back to the real world, and it kind of is a shitty. It's not glamorous. It's just life. It's all rainy, kind of downtrodden, and kind of sucky. But he's living now. God, there's not a lot I want to say about these performances because they're very naturalistic, but perfect. They're exactly what these characters needed, and Derek, Lucy, and Tia are fucking, fucking good! Mm, This show's good! Also, I love that I love the march at the end. I love episode twelve finale when he's running and that music kicks in and it's so good. Nagra isn't he's not like sunken in. He's facing forward with conviction and strength and even like when Mizuho's giving in and giving up, she follows him and his conviction. And that's gorgeous. God, I need to stop talking. I'm sorry, Amon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, Amon? These performances are good. I don't know what to add. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm at about the same point, too. Yeah, like they're good. Thumbs up. Y'all rock. <laughs> like, thanks for knocking out of the park on a really difficult show. Like y'all, y'all had a hard job, and y'all did it without y'all made a, y'all made a hard job look easy. Yeah, take 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 that as the compliment it is. For sure. Uh, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. Like Jet and Andrew did a really good job, like explaining what I liked about these three performances. They were just so natural, so conversational, and like also like everything i loved about the characters so i i all i can say is like great job um but i'm also just gonna use this opportunity to just quickly segue into final thoughts where um yeah sunny boy um uh this show is absolutely fucking dense um it has every manner of like metaphor for life existing and dealing with things and like the characters feel human and are complex and the animation's really great it feels like a throwback to like the early 2000s madhouse where they just like went absolutely crazy Ugh, just go check out the show guys just if you've stuck with us for as long as it would take to get to this point, like just just go check out the show. And and if you haven't, check out the show. If you already have, do it again. You're gonna get more out of it. If you've already seen the show, go listen to the soundtrack and be mesmerized at how much of a fucking banger it is, despite at least like sixty percent of the show having no music. Oh my god, I want this show soundtrack on fucking vinyl. Funimation, fucking do it. Oh my god, please. Do it. I want to hear this in the best sound quality, and I want to feel like a fucking, like, audiophile, and just, in. I want to melt into the sound, into both of the insert songs from episode 12, especially. Alright, who who wants next crack at final thoughts? I, I don't know of an order right now. Uh, yeah, this was a really... 
uh, and this was a really interesting show. Again, again, I do, again, I do kind of like seeing really abstract art from anime every once in a while, and uh, this definitely fits the bill. It's definitely very interesting. Um, Shingo Natsume did something like this. It really shows how like wide of a range he has a director that he can go from doing a mainstream blockbuster like One Punch Man or like. Or, or like a political thriller like Aka to something like this. It's pretty interesting. And in general, this is just like a really fascinating show. Like a lot of uh, interesting things about, uh, I guess, like stagnation, uh, moving forward. Even a little bit of stuff about like, you know, uh, even a little bit of stuff about capitalism. And yeah, and I don't know, I guess like, and I don't know, I guess, like, uh, sometimes I have a little bit of the neoism and, like, you know, our current work environment and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, yeah, it's just a really fascinating show, and the dub was, and the dub was definitely what, uh, the show needed. It, sorry, uh, it matched the tone a bit really well, uh, really good casting across the board, um, some pretty interesting performances, including some... Including some that I hope will uh, get more people, that I uh, will get those actors on more people's radar. So, like, uh, all in all, this was a really good time. All right, who's next? Uh, I I appreciate that when Shingo Natsume decided to cash in all the like cred he built up directing other things, he decided to make something so aggressively uncommercial. Yes. Uh, yeah, just like, like early Madhouse, like 2000s Madhouse feels like, this reminds me of when anime had less international money in it, and I feel like a lot of times all you need to really do to get greenlit is like, yeah, we can probably convince enough weirdos in Tokyo to buy the DVDs of this to make it worth your while. Yeah, I, yeah I've seen people make this comparison and it is kind of sad, like, Madhouse now feels like what MAPPA was in the early days, and now their roles are reversed. Pretty much, uh, yeah. Yeah, just uh, it's I I like I, I I like that this exists and I like that Funimation took a gamble on it and gave it a really and like put a lot of good people on it who clearly gave it the kind of care and attention it deserved. Like this is great. I love it. Perfect. And I I'm I'm glad that you brought up the um you know Shingo Natsume cashed in all of his like actually um marketable anime adaptations that he's done. Because he's literally following this up with the Tatami Time Machine Blues. Yep. I forgot he's doing the Tatami Galaxy sequel. What a good fit for him, too. Absolutely fucking poetry. Um, anyway, Andrew, give us some final thoughts. Allow me to quote one Rajani. About another sentence that could easily also serve as the thesis statement for this show. Life in this world may be meaningless. But cool things happen every now and then. Sunny Boy is a show that is so aggressive in what it is. And so uncompromising in its visual and like literal identity. That there is nothing quite like it. It is amazing that something quite like it was made in this year. Like, this era of anime commercialization. It is honestly 
actually insane that this exists that it is as unique and compelling as it is that it is so so unflinching at what it wants to be and that there's so much i could parse about what it's trying to say and i feel like its message is really going to stick with me for a lot longer than i was expecting to living in stasis in an unmoving unyielding stasis existence is not living living is scary frightening and uncertain but living is moving moving forward and taking a chance where you don't where you don't know anything where you can't see anything and all you can do is roll the dice and do your best Sunny Boy is a show I didn't know I was going to really care for as much as I did, and I thought it was kind of a little too dense at the start, but then I saw those last episodes, and then I realized I was watching something special. Thank you for bringing me on to do this one for your birthday, Patrick. I I really wanted to talk oh, about yeah, this show. Oh, yeah, man. Anyways, let's wrap this up so I can just blast that fucking OST on my ears <laughs> all fucking night! Oh, absolutely. Um, if you want to give Sunny Boy a checkout, um, the subbed and dubbed versions are both available on Funimation. And in fact, um, because more people are probably likely to have this over Funimation, um, the sub and dub versions are also available via Hulu. I think Funimation's up to like seven bucks a month, seven or eight, somewhere about. Somewhere around there. Um, Sounds about right. Two-week free trial anyway. You got to put your credit card information in there. Uh, you don't like the service. Like, do be sure to cancel that free trial or you're going to get charged. Um, kind of the same deal with Hulu. And there's also, like, a bundle you can get, like, Disney Plus and ESPN if you want it. All right. So, if you want to see anything we're up to, um, we're on the YouTube at Dub Talk Podcast. Um, this is also available via audio-only form in, um, in like, Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, we're generally open to other podcasting platforms, so it may show up later on elsewhere. Uh, we have a Twitter account at Dub Talk Podcast where we mainly just kind of post updates on what we're up to. Sometimes we ask followers stuff. We ask you the um, deep questions. We uh, we also have a Tumblr that is dead, 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 dead. Oh, God, that is so... Very hard. dead. That's... Super dead. Buried dead. It's, Six it's, feet under. It's not dead. It's just in permanent stasis. <laughs> Let's be real. Death exists here, Andrew. It's dead. Fair. Um, we also have our Twitch account. Um... We all basically stream various things on various days. Um, as of recording, Andrew and Steph are kind of having computer problems. Um, we will finish that Insomnium a... Files. Hopefully that's done by the time this goes up. Yeah. Like, hopefully they get back up and running by the time this episode goes up. And I managed to somehow MacGyver my system back up and running. So hopefully that's still going. Um yeah. Uh, we got a Kofi if you want to, like, send some jingle our way. Uh, if you want to send more regular 
support. Uh, we also have a Patreon. And at the end of our episodes, we like to shout out everybody who is an active patron. Uh, right now, at the $5 tier, we've got Julia W., Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with yowie hands, uh, Sue Tweedy, Victor Mybaroda, and at the $10 tier, we have Anthony Brown, Carly Lessacow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Uh, thank you guys. We genuinely appreciate it. And do not forget that once a quarter, we raffle off the ability to make us watch whatever the fuck you want. Um, With it that is probably also going to come up in the next couple weeks as of recording. Um, may come close by the time this episode actually releases. You never know. So remember, if you give us 10 bucks, you can make us watch whatever the fuck you want. Whatever the fuck you want, as long as it's dubbed. Within reason. I mean, we say within reason, but we get, you know. Fair enough. Anyways, <laughs> either way. Alright, so, um, why don't you guys plug yourselves, and then we will go ahead and sign off. Hi, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000. You can also find me over on Surreal Resolutions Podcast, ONA Podcast, where we talk about the latest in anime news alongside my fellow podcast dub talk code host, Jet. How you doing, bud? Tired. Uh, I am Jet. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Divinega, where I'll usually just uh, be, I guess, talking about anime cartoons or like. Whatever, and uh, you can also find me on Podcast of a Day. Uh, I'm Amon. You can find me at, uh, at Amon Duel on Twitter. Duel has two U's. I talk about party and bullshit or whatever. Uh, songs. Um, I re- this was a stumper because there's not a lot of actual music in this show. Um, but I decided to, when the show starts, they just appear to be in space of some kind. So I use that as a starting point. I remembered, well, wait, I already know the best soundtrack about space. That's Apollo, Atmospheres and Soundtracks by Brian Eno, Roger Eno, and Daniel Lenoir. The uh, soundtrack to the uh, documentary For All Mankind, which is basically a bunch of stock footage from the Apollo missions edited together. Uh, It's very pretty. Um, If you know a song from that, it's probably uh, one called An Ending, Ascent. If you go listen to that, you'll realize you've absolutely heard this in a commercial and didn't realize it wasn't just some, like, random library music they pulled out. Mm. But I'm actually going to recommend the song Always Returning, which I think has a really melancholic vibe to it that I think matches this show really well. So go check that it's out. It's also called Always Returning. That sounds very fitting. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. So as your host, um, I am Patrick, a.k.a. Roots of Justice. You can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice. Mainly retweet cute animal pics. Talk general fandom stuff. You should come by. Say hi. I'm nice. Um... I am actively working on something for the blog, finally. I know I keep saying that, but, like, I actually have something, like, kind of decently drafted, so maybe it'll get posted by the time this comes out. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I'm also kind of getting my bearings with video editing, because I kind of want to do, like, YouTube essays. So we'll see what happens with that. Nice. Uh, so with that, I think we're going to call this episode a close. Um, 
thank you for sticking with us for what's probably going to be like close to or like on the dot three hours. So this was a really fun conversation. I genuinely appreciate you guys for showing up and talking this like spectacular show with me. Anytime, man. Anytime. Alright, so with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and call this episode a close. Um, you all have an absolutely wonderful evening, and otaku on that deba. Good night, everybody. Otaku on, and don't be afraid to re-roll the dice. Rock over Boston, rock on Chicago. Good night. And click. <laughs>